Welcome to Let's Talk. Here we will focus on the hustle, the juggle, and everyday struggle of small business. We will be here every week talking to small business owners about their everyday struggles, stresses, and ways they have been able to overcome the challenges of running their business. We welcome questions and comments, so please feel free to email us at admin at plemonscpa.com. We hope you enjoy, and above all, we hope it helps. Okay, we're back right now. We have here Rebecca Smith of Rebecca Smith Law Firm. Go ahead, Chris. Well, Rebecca, so when we left off, we were we were talking about how sometimes the entity selection is really important in that sometimes in the case of your example, the sole proprietor entity status is fine because there's a there's a level of protection that 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 is needed in certain circumstances, but Sometimes whenever it's a hobby business or a retirement hobby, whatever it may be, it's, it's not as, as necessary. And one of the next components that I really want to talk about is how those two situations dovetail because it, it comes up a lot where people will go, business owners or entrepreneurs will go talk to an attorney about their business or they'll go talk to an attorney about their personal. So how do those items really kind of work together? Because they're very important components of of everyone's personal situation. And I just would love for you to highlight that a little bit. Just to clarify, I do not do family law. Um, I do uh, business law, tax law, estate planning, and probate. Yes, Um, not family. uh, I'm sorry. Family law is a much different interpretation. So, and I, I use that term incorrectly. See, that's what, this is a good time to, this is a good time to insert my disclosure that I'm not a tax or legal professional (laughs) and that anybody, anybody, this is not to be misconstrued as advice. So you go talk to Rebecca. Nothing that I say is meant to be legal advice. It's for informational purposes only. So, um, so that's a great question. So limited liability companies can act as, you know, it's, separate you and your operational business from your personal and and the you are limited in your liability as to whatever you have invested in, in the company. So I, I like to use the example, let's say you're producing uh, salsa, right? And you're making salsa and you're selling salsa and you create a limited liability company to make and, and, and create that salsa and sell it. If you get a bad batch of tomatoes that have like one of those viruses that make people sick, like listeria, and unbeknownst to you, the virus gets into your salsa, it's through no fault of your own, you had a bad batch of product that got sent to you. If you are operating as a sole proprietor and that happens, when the lawsuit comes, when people get sick, and those lawsuits will come, because I don't know if you've noticed, whenever you read the plaintiff attorneys, like Thomas J. Henry or the 444 guy or whoever, the hammer, they always ask, like, have you been injured by a company? Have you been in an accident with a commercial vehicle? Because they love to sue business owners because they tend to have deeper pockets. Yeah, it's right? not a it's truck driver named Tom or, you know, it's, it's, right. it's, it's, it's always the company <laughs> as a whole. Right. Uh, good point. It's always the company because, yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's the golden rule of the legal world is he who has the gold gets sued, right? It does no good to sue broke people unless they have insurance. Um, So with that being said, it's like if you are operating as a sole proprietor and you're making and selling that salsa, when you get sued, you're going to get sued personally. 
So all of your personal assets, everything that you have is on the line and open to get, you know, hit with a judgment versus if you have a limited liability company or a corporation that is your operational section of that company, then only whatever is involved in that company is open to a judgment. And as a limited liability company, the only thing the judgment can be put against is something called a charging order, which means that they can attach the profits of the company. So you have to realize when you operate as a sole proprietor, you are your business. And when the lawsuits come, you're going to get sued personally. Right. Versus if you create that entity, that thing that's separate from yourself, you know, and so when the business gets sued, the business gets sued, you don't get sued personally. And that's where that that discussion that we had earlier about maintaining those corporate formalities, making sure that you treat your business like a business and not your personal piggy bank and make sure that you maintain the corporate and business formalities of your company is absolutely imperative in order to maintain the integrity should the lawsuit come. So if I've only got $100 in my business bank account, that's about all they can get. Well, no, that's not entirely true because you assume then that you will never have anything. Because if they successfully sue you and get a lawsuit against you, right? And so if you're a sole proprietor and you're operating as a sole proprietor and they sue you, even if you have 50 cents in the bank and nothing to your name that they can get, they will have a judgment against you and they will wait. And then the judgment's good for 10 years and then they can renew it. And oh the moment my. you do start getting things, yeah, the Don't moment you profit, do yeah. start getting things, yeah, the <coughs> moment you do start getting things, right, that's when they will come out of the woodwork and they will, next thing you know, you'll have your bank account will get hey, attached or they'll levy. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like the specter of Christmas past coming out to get you. So, you know, you want to avoid ever having judgments against you Um, because, like I said, it's the same reason why I have folks who are like, well, I don't need estate planning because I don't have anything. Well, sometimes the way that you leave this world creates a cause of action, whether it be a nursing home neglect or a car accident or whatever. And in the way that you leave this world then becomes very important because your family will have to open up a, a probate procedure in order to, you know, distribute the funds of the lawsuit. So even though you don't have anything in this world, in this life, that doesn't mean that the way that you leave this world doesn't necessarily can create a cause of action, which will benefit your heirs. Well, and one of the situations that we see on a regular basis as well. So I, I tried to bring into this conversation a lot of the a lot of the, the statements that I get or the responses that I get whenever I you know tell clients that need to, they need to go see a professional such as yourself. But one of the other ones that I see that kind of it's, it's a good segue is uh, you know we did that a long time ago and the you know we or we had this done five years ago or ten years ago or even three years ago. And with all the different law change, changes in legislation that we've gone through in the past two years in the tax code, but, you know, let alone three, five and 10 years, they, they don't mm-hmm. review it as frequently as they, as, they, as they probably should. And they've added assets to the ledger. They have added debt. They've added employees. They've added com, com, complexities to their situation. So that's I get that a lot. So how do you? you know, respond to that or tell business owners, you know, uh, maybe a frequency or just 
when some material change happens to their business, how, how, how would you deal with that? So limited liability companies can act as operational companies. They can also act like baskets to hold and protect assets. So any time that you have a business owner looking at doing a major acquisition, um, they need to consider and, and discuss with an attorney whether or not it would be wise to you know, create that little safe haven, that, that basket of protection by titling the property or the building that they're buying separately into a separate limited liability company. Um, LLCs can also kind of act as firewalls against riskier parts of your business. So let's say you have a delivery business and you know you have a lot of vans and vehicles. Well, you can create a separate LLC that simply owns and holds those delivery vans and it maintains the insurance on them. And then you can, you know, with a clever CPA, figure out how to, you know, avail yourself of various tax advantages by creating income flow between the two entities. Um, so as businesses grow and, and acquire assets and, you know, create, you know, more employees and all of the things that, that kind of, what did, like growing pains, if you will, the things you need to consider is how do I structure my business wherein I can, you know, separate and protect assets, right? And then silo off the danger, if you will, so that you are operating your business in the most efficient and the most risk adverse way that you can do so. Versus a lot of folks will open up a business and they'll have like an LLC and they'll have their one little sheet of LLC and they'll get their paperwork and they'll never look at it again. And they'll soldier forth and their businesses will grow and expand and they'll, you know, bring on employees and hire and they never document any of that in the company ledger like you're supposed to. And they never, they just, you know, put everything into one giant basket (laughs) and, you know, everything's great till it ain't something happens, right? Whether it be a good thing, like someone's looking at um, acquiring their business, purchasing it, that's a good thing, but Part of the due diligence is, is I want to see all your company record books. Yeah. They don't have anything to show them. Or something bad happens. There was a fire or an accident or you know something awful happened, and now they're getting sued. And as part of any lawsuit is this thing called discovery. Mm-hmm. And discovery in a lawsuit is, is you have to turn over all of these documents. So you have to turn over like all of your insurance information, all of your company documents, whatever is requested by the other and it's mandatory. You can't lie. You can't yeah, I was going to say that's, that's know, one of the it. important things about discovery is that they technically don't even have to ask for it. It's, it's, it's something that you, right. you could be, you could believe on your own is material to the situation. You don't have the option to just say, yeah. Oh yeah, we just won't. Hopefully they ask for this if they need it. That's not, that's not the way discovery works. So, and it, and, no, and doing have, that puts yeah. you at greater risk. So, it, it does. And, and because of that, it's like you want to make sure that you have the best business practices in, in place. Like I call it good business hygiene, right? It's like making sure that your books are balanced and, you know, you're recording all of your expenses and, you know, you're doing the things that, that every reasonable business owner does in conducting their business. The problem is, is when you're a really small business and it often just, you know, one person and some employees is those things get put to the back burner. 
because there's only so many hours in a day and it just seems like a bunch of paperwork that you shouldn't have to be bothered with. But the problem comes is when, you know, you're, you operate like that and everybody has Uncle Joe who, you know, ran his own business, never got audited by IRS, never had to pay taxes and lived a long and happy life and got shot by a jealous husband when he was 92. But most folks aren't that lucky. Most folks wind up really stepping in it. And, and being a little bit proactive and making sure that you have the proper contracts in place and that you're practicing good business hygiene and you're assessing, you know, risk will help prevent a lot of these problems. And see, that's why we talk about the power five, where you have that ability once a year to touch base with those people that are in your circle, because the goal is not to get caught like that at, at, at any point. Now, if you don't have that mid-year, that quarterly type of um, communication, you could step in it and it'd be knee deep, ankle deep, trout fishing waders deep. But if you're uh, proactive by having those quarterly conversations where when you buy an asset in January, you know, you got a quarterly conversation up in March, you'll be better prepared. And that's that is essential in making sure that you're staying on track to be ahead of the curve versus behind the curve. Absolutely. And it just, it promotes the collaboration of the different professionals that when you're a, when you're a large business, you don't have to worry about it. You can have a, you can have an entire board of directors that is comprised of different people like myself, like Rebecca, you know, like Daniel, all the different people that we've talked about in that power five series. But when you're a small business, it's more difficult to juggle because you spend the majority of your time trying to build the business, making those donuts. Right. Exactly. So, and, and, and it's important, like Rebecca was saying, to be able to stop, pull back, put on the different hat, you know, to and the business owner hat and work on the business as opposed to in the business and make sure that all your ducks are in a row, that you've hit all the checkpoint, Charlie's, and at least have that annual meeting where all the professionals have preferably collaborated and be, been able to tell you, this is what we see coming down the pipe. You've, you've communicated with them this is what's going on in the business. These are major purchases. These are major major expenditures, um, and they and and they sit. They document that conversation in the meeting minutes. It's stuck in the corporate book. It's signed off by the owner. And I tell people, especially sole proprietors, Rebecca, that 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 I don't. It doesn't matter if you're having a conversation with yourself. Have it out loud. Document what you said to yourself what your your response to yourself was and then sign it and date it and stick it in the book. So there there are certain requirements that need to be done in order to maintain the the integrity of that entity. So meet with an attorney, make sure that they know what's going on and and if you have an attorney that's that most and correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the large expense that everyone is dealing with uh that that complains about with an attorney is that it, it's similar to your health that if you don't in hygiene, that's a perfect, perfect term. So have that discussion with the attorney on a regular basis. And it's going to prevent you from having to have that really large expense one time over the course of 30 years. If you have many, you have several smaller expenses to make sure that everything's the health checkup is good. So that's exactly right. I, and I use the analogy is like, they're so busy, you know, picking up nickels that they don't see the dollars flying out the door. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something as simple as like an independent contractor agreement, you hire someone for your business. If you don't have a, a good, solid, independent contractor agreement, 
it's like next thing you know, this person that you hired is taking your clients, right, and absconding with funds and, you know, doing side deals. And and you're sitting there flat-footed with your mouth open wondering what the heck happened. Well, if you don't have a contract stating you are not allowed to solicit my clients, you are not allowed to, you know, do these things or poach your best employees, well, there's nothing to prevent them from doing that because you know this is america we love business yeah capitalism at its finest yeah i've been looking for i I wish somebody would write a book on horrible business entity issues i think that would be a phenomenal book for professionals in so many different fields to read so that they can hear some of the things that i've heard and it's 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 really just and they're so preventable um, so one of the things I want to do, Rebecca, right now is I know that we're kind of backed up against the clock because we've had really great conversation mm-hmm. ongoing, but focus on how you work with business owners. So one of the questions that I get most frequently from business owners is how do I find a good attorney? How do I find an attorney that knows what they're talking about? Uh, there are so many different focuses of different attorneys, legal practices. So I know that the two that are really important to, to me and business owners is the practice of business law and the practice of the estate planning. I didn't say estate plan or didn't yes. say family law that time. True. Proud of you. No. <laughs> so, um, so you're absolutely correct that uh, lawyers uh, tend to practice in very narrow fields of the law. It's kind of like specializing. So, you know, doctors, they go through, you know, an apprenticeship and certification and you wouldn't want you know, the dermatologist performing your knee surgery, right? So you, you wouldn't necessarily want the criminal attorney, right, setting up your entity, right? And you wouldn't want the estate and probate planning attorney representing you in court on, you know, a, a drug charge. So you want to make sure that you have the lawyer who is right for, for the task that you need them to do. And then the other thing is, you know, they call us, you know, counselors and attorneys at law. And so you want to find an attorney that you have, you can have a conversation with, that you feel comfortable with, that you feel heard, and, and that, you know, you trust to do a good job, um, simply because, you know, attorneys are people too. And, you know, you might, somebody might have a wonderful experience with one attorney. And when you go to that attorney, you feel like they talk down to you and they don't listen to you. Well, that's not the person you want to be your counselor at law, right? You want someone that you can talk to and have a conversation to, and, you know, you feel comfortable with. So, you know, there's, there's lots of lawyers out there, you know, some of them offer initial consultations, some don't. I know I do. Um, but just ask your family and friends and then have a conversation with the attorney to see if that's the kind of person that you want doing your work for you, you feel comfortable with. And I always tell people, you know, you have this agreement with a professional for services rendered from that professional. So at any time, if you feel intimidated, you're not going to go. You're not going to want to go to talk to that professional. So if you don't have a good working relationship and you're not comfortable opening up with that person, because you know as well as I do, uh, financial planning especially, but probably not as much as your field, we have things disclosed to us that they don't. Nobody, no one wants to disclose to anyone else. So and it's family, friends, you know, other people because they're going to provide or 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 show a vulnerability and they want to know what they need to do about it. 
and how to fix it. And in order to be able to determine what you need to do about it or what the client needs to do about it, they, 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 they need to be able to share it with you. So it's, it's, it's very important. Absolutely. And understand too, that attorney client privilege is a fiduciary duty that attorneys have to their clients. So I, call, I, I like to call us secret keepers, right? Because often clients will come in with something that to them is very personal and perhaps embarrassing, um, but they need to realize that anything that's to, disclosed to an attorney in an attorney-client relationship is absolutely sacrosanct. Like we cannot even be compelled to discuss your issues even after the client has passed, Mm -hmm. right? After you die, the privilege extends beyond death. And with that being said, we hear and deal with all kinds of wacky, crazy things. And, you know, after being in the practice of law for a while, there is very few things that you can say to me that would be shocking. It I would can just imagine. be more like, you Sounds know, we're familiar. very, very objective. Yeah. yeah. It's like, we're very, yeah, it's very objective. It's like, you know, you have, a, here's the problem. Here's like three avenues that we can do to solve your problem. Very you know, practical. Because that's what lawyers do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very practical, very pragmatic, you know, very realistic. It's like, you know, here's the problem. Here's, here's three solutions or here's, you know, the best solution, you know, I advise you to do this, this, or this. And then it's up to the client to make the decision because ultimately attorneys work for the client. You know, we represent you in legal matters, but we, you are our, our master, if you will. And my client is absolutely the one who calls the shots. I love it. Same here. And it's one, it's one of those things where we're supposed to provide options and be able to see the forest through the trees and be able to, guide you in what the different options are and give you advantages and disadvantages. So I got one more question and I've, I've always try to ask this question to professionals because it's, it's, you would probably agree it's much more difficult than uh, you might think it should be. So from a professional to professional, but how, how does the collaboration work with you? Are you, you know, is that, is that a, is that a, a format of working with other professionals like CPAs, financial planners, um, in, insurance p- professionals, so on and so forth, bankers and lenders. That is that something that you are comfortable with, and how important is it? Um, I would love you to comment on that, and then we'll kind of wrap up. So, I certainly have relationships with a variety of professionals because you know the clients who come to me maybe have not seen a CPA or have not seen a financial planner or don't have insurance. With that being said, attorneys are in a very different situation. In the sense that, you know, everything between an attorney and client is privileged. The person who holds that privilege is the client. So if I have permission from the client to talk to the CPA, or if I have permission from the client to have a conversation with their insurance agent or financial planner, I can certainly do that. Otherwise, I don't even admit that people are my client. Well, and even about. the fact that someone is a client is privileged, right? right? So unless I have permission from them or they specifically say, can you recommend so-and-so? And I ask them, would you like, you know, I can just do a warm email or would you like a list of names? And they'll be, they'll make that decision. That's on, that's their decision. And I have to always respect their decisions. Right. Well, and one of the things that we always want to highlight is the importance of those, com- those professionals communicating with one another that are already on your team. So 
I find this very frequently is that when the client has to be the go-between or to articulate a concept to one party in between another professional party that uses different um, nomenclature, you know, yeah, nomenclature terminology. So there, it's important that those professionals are brought together and that the client spends the time to sign the proper authorizations for them to be able to talk together on specific items and that they can control that collaboration to whatever extent they want to. They can communicate specifically what information is allowed to be co- communicated. So, but with, with, with my profession, one of the first things I always get asked is, are the beneficiary, beneficiary designations on all accounts up to date? Yes, absolutely. How do they need to be, though, as far as the attorney is, is concerned based on what they're advising? So does it need to go to an entity? Do, is the beneficiary supposed to be someone else other than a natural person? Is it supposed to go somewhere else? Because that's one of the big things that we always see dropped along the way. Uh, so we always want to make sure those things are important taken care of and in line with what the other professionals have recommended and implemented, implemented. Absolutely. No doubt. Wow. This has been informative. I have thoroughly enjoyed this interview, this podcast, Rebecca, we appreciate you so much. If any of our audience wanted to get in contact with you, what would be the best way to do so? Um, So I do provide that initial consultation at no charge, 30 minutes, and we can have a conversation to discuss, you know, what your legal needs are. And if I'm not the right attorney for you, I generally know folks in the community who can assist you. Um, They are welcome to call the office at 210-209-5556 and schedule an appointment. Um, We're currently meeting either by Zoom or uh, via teleconference until, you know, this COVID-19 pandemic ends. Okay. Do you have a website that you could give us also? I sure do. You can see more information about me and what I do at www.rsmithlawfirm.com. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rebecca. We appreciate all of your insight, your information. We thank you again, and we look forward to um, having you back in the near future. And I got to give kudos because that was your first podcast. And I know you were nervous and you, you absolutely blew it out of the water. You did a great job. So I really appreciate it. So, cause this, these are so many questions that people are frankly, they're scared to ask an attorney for they're, they're, they're scared to ask those questions. And I think it's important that professionals like you are willing to have that conversation and, and come on, you know, a, a, a podcast like this and have these discussions because people need to know that, you know, like you said earlier, we're just people. We're just humans. We've been through some of the same stuff, and we've been we've probably fallen in some of the pitfalls that we would hope that you would avoid. No doubt. Absolutely. Well, it's been a privilege. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. It, it has been interesting, and like you said, it, it it's it's a different format. But I enjoy listening to podcasts, so it's it's different being on the other side. Undoubtedly. Will you take care of yourself? Have a wonderful holiday season. Okay. Yep. Take care of yourself. Stay safe. You as well. Thank you so much. For more information about any of our guests, or if you have questions and comments, please email us at admin at And don't forget to check out our website, plemonscpa.com, for upcoming events and workshops in San Antonio. David B. Plemons CPA Inc. is providing this podcast as a public service, but it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of David B. Plemons CPA Inc. policy. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by David B. Plemons CPA Inc. 
The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the Hustle, Juggle, and Struggle of Small Business podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or their concepts or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by David B. Plemons CPA Inc. employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of David B. Plemons CPA Inc. or any of its officials. You should always consult your own investment advisors, attorneys, and accountants before making any decisions concerning your financial matters. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our office. Chris Hall is a partner with Pontum Financial and offers securities and investment products and services through Waddell and Reed Incorporated, WRI, member FINRA slash SIPC. Pontum Financial is a separate entity from WRI. Waddell and Reed is not affiliated with David C. Plemons CPA. Waddell and Reed Financial Advisors are able to offer insurance products through arrangements Waddell and Reed has made with outside insurance companies. The information presented on this podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not to be constructed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any financial product or service mentioned. Any opinions expressed are those of Chris Hall and are subject to change based on market and other conditions. For more detailed information regarding any of the topics discussed on today's podcast, please call 210-625-4845 or visit pontumfinancial.com. Waddell and Reed does not offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a professional prior to making any financial decisions. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.